Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, the governor of New Mexico is an establishment hoe. The Constitution will not be disregarded. If you think you can disarm Americans, you are mentally retarded. Haters gonna hate and baiters gonna bait, but the truth will shine through and obliterate the deep state. Silly, girls don't have willies. Men can't give birth. Currently obnoxious little world. As always, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. We are rarely successful, I'll admit to that, but we are honor bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, why don't I take a sip of today's drinky poo and see if it's a winner or a sinner? Hold on, my darlings. Sipping is happening. Mmm. Ooh. Ooh. Mmm. Yum, yum, yum. That actually, I think that was going to be a winner. Definitely not a sinner. We do have a little drink on this show, darlings, because you see, metaphysical martini, it's where top-notch distilled spirits meet the Holy Spirit. And that is a lovely combination. It is very, very holy. And this is a lovely drink. If you're joining us for the first time, well, welcome. A very warm welcome to you. Be advised, this show is politically incorrect so as not to erode the intellect. Martini heads, we are plain folk. We prefer common courtesy, common decency, common sense over CRT or the pick your own gender or the movement to identify as someone who thinks it's acceptable to try and jail your political opponents. We are right minded people and that is not a political statement. We are in our right minds. We think straight. We are spirit-centered patriots who believe America has a sacred purpose and we are dedicated to restoring the Republic and we will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to overthrow the Luciferian minions who are pushing for a post-human society under one world government. Mark my words, you arrogant little 
bastards of the deep state machinery. You will not get this country. You will not get the final prize. We will defeat you and we will squash you under our feet like the bugs that you want us to eat. If you are again, you know, new to the show, what do we do on this show? Well, people sending questions and I answer them. And sometimes those answers are quite sensible. Sometimes they're very silly. But, you know, I do my best. I do my best. So on today's show, of course, we have quack questions, answers and comments. We also have the cryptic mystic. Whoa. Um, we might fit in a couple of weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history, um, or we might do some silly poetry. But then, of course, there's my favourite part of the show right at the end, the cocktail of the day. Yummy, yummy. So anyway, let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show. And let's start, as always, with quack questions, answers and comments. My darlings, if you would like to share the contents of your minds with martini heads across the globe, send your emails to me, Oni, at oniavidician.com or by snail mail to Cosmic Oni, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. So let's go ahead and shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexitaire and see what pops out. Shaky, 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 shaky. Let's see here. Our first missive is from Curious in the Caribbean. Hello, I know you and good to hear from you again. And Curious writes, I've been thinking. Oh, Curious, say it ain't so. Curious says, as Earth is a classroom for souls to evolve. Oh, hang on. Before that, she says, um, if Earth is ascending from 3D to lower fourth and onward, and Earth is a classroom for souls to evolve, then what happens? The kindergarten is shut down. Souls will miss the opportunity to experience this current shithole. <laughs> or do we all ascend? Do all souls ascend? Okay, I think I understand what you're trying to say here. If we go into the fourth dimension, which of course is the goal, um, does that mean that anybody below that can't come back? How does that work? Um, <clears throat> changes in dimension do not happen overnight and they're not clean cut. You know, it's not like one day third, the next day fourth, da-da. You know, think of it like the historical eras of Earth in, you know, in archaeology, in history. Stone Age gradually turned into Bronze Age, which gradually turned into Iron Age and, you know, turned into other things, depending on where you're from. I was raised in England, so then it went to sort of Anglo-Saxon, then it went to the Dark Ages, then it went to the medieval period and, uh, you know, and, and on and on and on. So there's always a shift time there. It doesn't, you don't suddenly go, okay, no more Stone Age pottery. From this moment onwards, we will only make Iron Age pottery. Yeah, it's, it's like that with dimension. There's a couple of hundred years of playroom there. So every physical realm is a classroom for evolving souls even in the higher dimensions. If you're playing on a physical realm, you're still going to experience contrast, but there will be less contrast as we go up the scale. 
because the programming of our ego mind is understood and overcome in the upper dimensions. So in a stabilized fourth dimension realm, millions of people would not take the advice of a rodent in a white coat telling you from the safety of the television screen to go inject yourself with poison to find a strange disease that seemingly popped up out of the blue. In a stabilized fourth dimension realm, our intuition would kick in immediately and our inner divine voice would tell us to avoid the rodent's advice at all cost. So on this planet right now, I suspect it will take a good 40 to 60 years for the current events to be fully understood and for the lessons to be absorbed and put into daily practice. So once a realm stabilizes, in other words, when the higher dimension becomes the majority of thoughts being formed on that realm, that realm will only attract souls wishing to experience at that realm's level. So to answer your question, if a soul still needs to experience at a third dimension level and Earth no longer holds that vibration, the soul will be guided to an appropriate realm. And the universe is chock a block full of planets and souls love going on adventures. You know, if we take a look at the polarity today, who is awake, who's asleep, who's awake and active, who is asleep and cowering. People newly awakened in shock and fear and outrage and general frustration and confusion is the new norm. You know, families have broken up because of the cult COVIDian. Many souls choose to form soul groups. You know, this is how we do it on the other side. We get to know each other and we, we travel together. We, we form these soul groups and we often hang out together playing different roles. And we usually stay on the same realm or realms, but now that's changing. Lifetime relationships have been broken. People have drifted too far apart to come back to center. It is fair to say that many of the people we have traveled with in our soul groups, it's possible we will no longer travel with them because they're not going where we are going. And that's fine. It really is because it is a free will universe. And ultimately, we have nothing but time. So um, I thank you for that question. I hope that made sense. There will come a time where we will be stable in the fourth dimension. And then if you vibrate below that, no, you can't come back to this planet. What would be the point? The vibration wouldn't hold you. The radar wouldn't accept you. So thank you for that. Um, and then there's another question here. And this is from friend of Curious in the Caribbean who asks, you said there was a softball size holding area in the universe for people who throughout multiple lifetimes have chosen to sever their divine connection and act alone. Where do they go after that? Do they get to start their journey over again? And if so, how? Okay, so this is also a very good question that requires me to take a sip of this excellent beverage. Hold on. Mm, I better go easy with that. That's rather tasty. Um, okay, to recap about this softball, while I maintain there is no actual hell, but multiple layers of vibration on each of the planetary heavens, where all manner of saints and sinners can be accommodated, 
The softball is a small and very dense realm where people who have committed atrocities are held. And by that, I don't mean atrocity. I mean, people who have committed atrocities that affect the lives of many people. Um, not little Johnny who cut the head off a mouse when he was six and then, you know, realized the error of his ways. Um, we're talking about murderous psychopaths and sociopaths and the people who served them. You know, the Stalins of this world, the Rothschilds, the Fauci's, the Clintons, the Soros's, the Schwab's, all those who are servants to the Luciferian agenda. Um, that's why these people love adrenochrome so much. They want to live as long as they can. Because once they shed the mortal coil, they have only a slim chance of bypassing the softball. And even if they manage to do that, there is a cadre of angels that specializes in working with the darkest of forces and the densest of energies. And they're very good at both guarding the softball and tracking down the fugitives. 99% are taken into the softball and this is what happens to them. You see, people can't get out of the soft pool of their own volition once they get in. So that area is well patrolled. The angels look for any points of light emanating from that realm. Um, some sign of regret, perhaps. A desire from one of these sociopaths to reconnect. Some sort of awakening. If the angelic ones see such a light, and uh, they'll monitor it, you see. And then if it continues to shine for a certain length of time, which I'm not sure what that is, but if it meets the guidelines, those angels have permission to swoop down and quickly grab and extract the soul. And then that soul can be taken to one of the lower realms in heaven for counseling. But the light being turned on is apparently a very rare event. And, and what happens after that is that Every 26,000 years or so, or whatever is your realm's preferred cycle, the lost souls of the softball are taken by creator, not the universal God, but by creator source I am. And they're washed clean in the islands of paradise. Um, some call that the uncreated mass or the purity of, uh, of, of source energy. And what happens then? is their memories are washed clean. Because if the soul were to awaken to what it had done in a fully conscious state, it would be unable to process it. Um, so the memories are wiped and the soul starts life again. But as a first dimensional being, perhaps a bug that lives mainly underground. And in time, it will crawl up into the light and become an above ground bug. And so it goes. And people will go, well, that's a good punishment for these bastards. But really, it's it's more of a understanding of what creator's unconditional love means. It's a very good example of that. Um, because creator doesn't want the soul to collapse into nothingness when it comes into the understanding of what it has done. Life is eternal. All energy can be recycled. Only source is real. Everything else is a dream. We have to remember that. Thank you for that one. That was a very good question. I'm going to give it um, two toots on my kazoo. And we have another one here from Tropical Raven in Oregon. And we have heard from you before, Tropical Raven. 
Um, so let's see what we've got here. Tropical Raven says, dear Ani, what are your thoughts on karma? It feels to me sticky, like a punishment. I understand cause and effect, but if we intentionally come to earth as souls to experience duality so we can remember singularity, then when we do bad things for the evolution of the soul, then we have to pay for them karmically. And that sounds like a loop to me. Mm. Yes, karma is one of the actually one of the simplest things to explain. And it's one of the most misunderstood things in whatever you want to call the New Age movement. Um, our souls do not think in terms of crime and punishment. They see it more along the lines of misguided actions and then making corrections to bring things back into balance. That's what karma is. That's cause and effect. That's understanding what you have done and seeing how you could have done it better. It's a loop if we refuse to learn from our mistakes. I mean, how we react to situations is the key, I think, um, to freedom from this loop. Not everything needs our attention. Not everything needs our input. Not everything needs a reaction. We can choose to say, I have no meaningful input and walk away. You see, whenever we engage, we create a new stream of energy. We write ourselves into someone's story or we create a new storyline. So let's be mindful where we place that energy. Because every time we engage, we are creating karma. In my line of work, in, which is varied, I do many different things, but in my line of work, it is common to meet people for the first time when they are actually dying in the process of dying. And I've lost count of how many times I've heard, if only I had been more patient, if only I hadn't been so frightened, if only I hadn't been so self-absorbed, if only I hadn't been so greedy, if only I hadn't taken things so personally. I hear a great many things that start with if only. And, you know, let's break the loop. Let's break it. It doesn't have to be like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of our incarnation, we lounged on our deathbeds like Roman emperors, nibbling away at sun-ripened grapes and say things like, well, uh, Julius, <laughs> that was one heck of a ride, buddy. I fell off several times, but I always managed to get back up and carry on. I learned much in this life and I've resolved it all. I'm at peace and ready to move on to the next adventure because I have given this life all the meaning it has for me. I am ready, let's go. I think that if we're mindful and we are conscious and we see each other as uh, divine beings having experiences in a very difficult realm, we wouldn't think so much about bad karma or good karma because we would just be thinking about doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time. And understanding that doesn't create new karma. And forgiving yourself for your mistakes and forgiving others that you might have condemned for theirs, that dissolves karma. 
So carry no grievance, harbor no grudge. You are the light of the world. Why don't you have a nice piece of fudge? Okay, thank you for that question, Tropical Raven in Oregon. That also gets two toots. <coughs> what else is in the fishbowl this week? Let's take a look around. Um, this is from Stella. Okay, I'm not going to do my impersonation of Marlon Brando saying Stella. I'm, I'm going to spare you that. But this is from Stella, who I don't know where she's from, but she's currently visiting friends in Billings, Montana. And Stella says, I am asking for a friend. Is noon too early to start drinking? I don't know. It's 4.20 here in Oregon. I'm going to have one. Hold on. Oh, oh lovely. Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, she, all, she goes on to say the way things are going, I think it's the only way to stay sane. I understand, Stella. Um, and I suppose it depends on your schedule if noon is too early. If noon is lunchtime and you have to go back to work, then perhaps it is too early. But if you've just come off the night shift at noon, then no, it's not too early. But no matter your schedule, by all means, enjoy your drinky poo, but don't overdo it. I know the value of a nice shot now and then. And yes, one shot can sometimes straighten you out if you're way off kilter. But I don't think anyone can be considered sane if they are under the influence of any mood altering substance. And remember, for every alcoholic beverage we consume, we should drink an extra eight ounces of water. Um, but I do take your point, you know. I'm going to have to agree, and many of the martini heads are also going to agree with you, Stella. Some days go better with a martini in hand, that's for sure. All right, let's take another question. This is from Harlan, who asks, why haven't we started shooting the scumbags who are trying to ruin our lives by destroying the Constitution? They are openly committing treason and we are just standing around with placards and shouting. When do we start shooting? So shooting the treasonous bastards is quite popular. Uh, it's trending, I would say, these days, the, the desire to shoot. People have been getting up in local town councils and saying, when do we start shooting you all? Uh, because you're all treasonous. I've been seeing a lot of that lately. And Harlan, I have to say, I am surprised by how long it has taken the American people to make a stand against these globalist goons. And I am surprised we have not yet heard any shots fired. And that troubles me. Um, stay with me. It troubles me because these people deserve to be executed for treason. Um, but it also shows how complacent a society becomes when everything is centralized. I am pleased to see well-armed citizens defying, defying the establishment. Uh, look at this New Mexico dreadful person, woman, governor, person thing. Um, she is attempting to disarm honest citizens going blatantly against the Constitution. She wants to deprive them of their right to defend themselves, to defend themselves and their families and their tribes. So I've got a shout out to the sheriffs and to the uh, Attorney General of New Mexico and all the other politicians. And it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, it's all across the board who are telling the scumbag governor they would not enforce the order because it's not constitutional. I think the white hats know we will have to start shooting soon. So I do hope they make their final moves before we have to duke it out on the streets. 
Um, you know, before we go out and get crazy, something I would never suggest over the air. I'm just informing you of the current mood of people. So before we go out there and get crazy, let's, because ammo is expensive, people, let's familiarize ourselves with what it takes to make a citizen's arrest, because that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Well, I mean, some of you are talking about just going up and shooting people. Mm, all right, uh, tempting, but um, let's talk about citizen's arrests, okay? I mean, can I arrest, say, my governor, I'd love to, for disregarding the Constitution? Can I, as a civilian, arrest an employer? for coercing an employee to choose between the death jab and a paycheck. Can I do that? I'm sure requirements are different in each state, but I think it would be worth investigating. You know, if we the people are going to take this country back, we need to know these things. Now, here in Oregon, I know that law enforcement officers are protected under law 133.315 or something like that when they make an arrest. I mean, the law states that no law enforcement officer will be held criminally or civilly liable for making an arrest so long as the officer was acting in good faith and without malice. But here in Oregon, there's no such protection for someone making a citizen's arrest, meaning that someone put under citizen's arrest could be more likely to sue the other person for something such as false imprisonment. But before you go out and do stuff like that, familiarize yourself with what you can and can't do under the law. As a libertarian, I think common law is an ass and should be completely abolished in favor of arbitration. But, you know, that's not where we are right now. And so many people coming out now losing patience you know, especially the newly awakened, or they're overwhelmed with all of this stuff that they missed. And they're like, right, I don't want to anymore. Let's just shoot them. So are we approaching the midnight hour? Will there be an actual civil war? If they don't sort out the ballots, will we, the people, resort to bullets? I think a certain level of unrest is inevitable, but I doubt, I hope, the military won't let it get to that point. And I don't think they will because they're the ones who'll have to deal with the fallout. They don't want a completely collapsed society because they're the ones that are going to have to help police it and put it back together again. And they're the military, not the police. They don't want to do that. Then again, it's a misinformation war. So it's not easy discerning the woo from the poo to the stuff we flush down the loo. But it does make me happy to know that people are now ready to take up arms against a corrupt government. That is why they want to do away with the Second Amendment. They want to take away our guns because they want to effing kill us. That's always been the plan. Look at your history of all de disarmed populations. Tell me that it ain't so. You know, we are supposed to be America. The government is supposed to be the people's government and it's supposed to be responsive to the needs of the people. And on the other side of this mess, no one will ever again utter the words, oh, I don't get involved in politics, because that is why we are in this mess. We let the government become a giant, rabid swamp monster with an insatiable appetite for our hard-earned dollars. How stupid are we? Harlan, Darling, before you go out and make those citizens arrests, 
check your state laws and don't go alone. And huzzah to all those who are speaking up and taking action against this Luciferian controlled puppet administration. Their only goal is to destroy America and turn it into a franchise of new world order. Over my dead body, matey, and trust me on this, I have no plans to die anytime soon. Should we take more questions? Let's do that, but let's have a drink. I, I do hope you make this cocktail. I'll share you um, share with you the, the recipe, the ingredients and how to make it at the end of it. Um, it's unusual. I've been digging into ancient vintage bartender's guides. Some of these cocktails I share with you are 100, 150 years old. And my golly, they're wonderful. Mm. All right, move on, Ani. Here's a question from Miko. Miko in Orlando, Florida who says, I think my brain is going to explode. Oh, no, Miko, no. <laughs> Miko says, I bought a dozen books on metaphysics and my mind is reeling and I am now very confused. I have so many questions to ask you, but I'll start with this one. My understanding is that we incarnate to prove, to prove to ourselves that we can remember who we are when in physical form or, as you say, let the spirit inhabit the human. This is supposed to destroy the myth of duality and turn our bodies into extensions of cosmic energy or God or whatever you want to call it. And when that happens, life is a joyful adventure, blah, blah, blah. And Miko has actually written blah, blah, blah. What does the phrase, the body is a learning tool for the mind actually mean? If the mind is all powerful, why do humans get sick and die? How do we avoid getting sick? How do we avoid death? There are a million books on how to live a functional life and billions of people living in personal misery. There is a missing link somewhere, Arnie. Can you help me sort it out? You know, Miko, I would love to help you sort it out because there is a missing link. I'll do my best here to, to see how much information I can give you that would make sense in the time allotted. Um, yes, okay. Duality is the idea that we are somehow separate from our true nature when we experience life in a physical form. The idea that the divine becomes something outside ourselves once we take on the flesh form. But it is our divine soul inside that flesh form that makes the flesh function. So the idea of separation from source does not make sense. It's true that our flesh bodies have ancestral coding, maternal, paternal, cultural coding, social conditioning, social coding, medical coding, and so on. So yes, the soul does have to filter through that. And it could give us the impression that we are separate beings, but we are not. All that's happened is that our souls have taken on a human form and each human has a unique personality. And that's what makes life so colorful. We are all individualized manifestations of source energy. Once we figure out what we truly are, our personalities do indeed become joyful extensions of cosmic energy, blah, blah. <laughs> and once we figure out what we truly are, 
and we figure out that we have multiple incarnations, each playing a different role, we begin to understand why we play the game of life and we begin to enjoy each carnation as cosmic space adventurers. Now you asked, what does the phrase the body is a learning tool for the mind actually mean? If the mind is all powerful, why do humans get sick and die? How do we avoid getting sick? How do we avoid death? You said there's a million and one books on how to live a functional life and billions of people living in personal misery. There's a missing link. You are quite right. I, I love the way that you phrased that. The mind drives our life experience. If we are right minded, in other words, if we run our minds in alignment with the divine, we become cool and calm and objective, highly intuitive, and we have that sense of serenity. And if we let the media and the propagandists run our minds, we become anxious, paranoid, closed minded and unruly. And this blocks creativity and without creativity, there is no growth and without room for growth, we become morons. Can we stop our bodies from getting sick? I mean, they're organic biological units. Well, I believe that a self-actualized person can do that. In fact, it is the natural order of things. If our personal vibration is divinely aligned, it buzzes higher than the diseases of the realm. And we will either never get sick or when presented with a new contagion or other medical challenge, our immune systems, if they're not effed up from vaccinations, fake or real, will rise to the challenge and will sort things out for us in double quick time. When we do get sick, we need to treat it as part of the experience we're having and not as a failure. Because, you know, I, I, it's common I hear this a lot. It's common with people new to new age concepts. Oh my God, I, I got sick. I'm failing. No, the trick is to accept illness as a temporary process, but also know that our bodies are not real. Only source is real. Remember, in metaphysics, only source is real. So the only part of us that is sick is the flesh part, which is the body, which is an illusion, part of the dreamscape of physical life. It is true that everything physical is a side effect of the thought process. That's how universes were created from our thoughts. We thought everything into our experience. We think everything into our experience. We think illness into our experience. So we can think it gone. These concepts, while really simple, when you approach it from the higher vantage point, and not easy to grasp if you have a mind that's been ego programmed and everybody on this planet has an ego programmed mind to some extent. To understand these concepts, we require time spent in quietude, in prayerful contemplation. Ask yourself this. Do I really believe my soul is part of source? If you answered yes, then you have all the power you need to overcome any illness, any situation. We humans have not yet learned how to process our emotions properly. We internalize instead of processing. Every internalized issue floats about somewhere in the aura, and if it's not dealt with, it will take up residence in the body, and that creates a potential for illness. The trick 
is to accept the illness as something that is happening in your experience, but without identifying with it. Well, how is that done? That's ridiculous. When you're crying out in pain or whatever form the illness takes, how are you? I'm not going to identify with it. Well, I'll tell you, because it's too simple a concept for most people to grasp. But if you want permanent healing, the path to self-actualization is the only way, the only path that will take you there. While you're lying there, moaning and groaning, as I was last week when my hips were out, and feeling sorry for yourself, you have to breathe deeply and affirm your perfection. You can say, I am as perfect as the moment of my creation. You can say, I am as God created me. These words are true words. They are sacred words. They are powerful words because they state the truth, which is that we are at our core creations of source I am. And when we affirm this, our bodies refresh the original templates of optimal health for humankind. The original programming will kick in and kick butt and it will restore you to grace to perfect health. Interesting thought. People ask me to pray for them, which I'm very happy to do, or for their loved ones. And typically they'll send me a detailed list of all the physical ailments. I mean, fair enough. But this is what I mean by us being overly attached to our form. It doesn't matter what the illness is. It could be chronic cold feet or cancer. It's due to a misalignment. When we become ill, we are not properly aligned at that moment with our divinity. So why would we pray to God to heal, for example, Jim's broken foot or Jane's ovarian cyst? Because we know that the body and the physical realms are illusions. So why are we asking God to heal an illusion? Doesn't God know that Jim has a broken foot? Doesn't God know that Jane has an ovarian cyst? Of course God knows. So what are we praying for? Is God sitting up there going, well, you guys, I need another 20 people to call in with prayers for Jim and for Jane, or I'm just going to leave them both to their agony. No, God is not some sort of capricious weirdo. God is the greater part of us. So in addition to why are we praying, who exactly are we praying to? Now, there's a thought. Mm. As the fourth dimension laps at our shores, I would like us to see it kicked up a notch. I'd like to see the way that we contemplate the nature of existence kicked up a notch. I really want us to think, what does it mean to be a God in a bod? God is the greater part of us, but not something outside of us. So when we pray, are we praying as poor, miserable sinners, unworthy of the presence, but begging for a scrap of grace? Or are we praying as part of God? having an internal dialogue with all that is, as an equal, as a powerful extension of cosmic energy. And we're often told, let go and let God. Well, what does that mean? 
I mean, it could mean that after you pray, be at peace and know that God will handle your affairs for you. And that gives us great relief. But is it effective? It is effective, in my experience, when you pray as part of the divine. You don't pray to God. You pray with God. And if you can hold this concept, pray as God. Now, that's power. And how can we magnify the glory of God unless we accept we are a part of it? Are you praying as a, you know, to a third party and hoping it gets done? Or are you sharing your thoughts with your cosmic tribe, knowing that you are a brilliant point of light in God's universe and worthy of all you desire? It sounds like a subtle shift. Stand in front of the mirror and say, I am God in a bod. I own my divinity. You'd be surprised how many people's self-worth or lack thereof will not allow them to do that. But I want you all to go out, get a martini if you need it. Have a little martini and stand in front of the mirror and say, I am God in the bod. All the power of the universe is mine. And then it really changes how you feel. It really changes you in ways that you don't really have words for. And if you want to pray for another, well, it's not God you're trying to reach. Why pray to God? I mean, stay with me here. I mean, instead of God, you know, so-and-so has broken their leg. Yeah, yeah, we've already discussed that. God knows all, all that. God knows all about that. So what do we do then? How can we feel useful? Well, instead of praying to God, oh, God, please help so-and-so, just refresh the divine template of the person you wish to affect the change in. Hold an immaculate concept. You are as God created you. See that person in their aura, brilliant white aura, and say nine times. It takes about a minute. You are as perfect as the moment of your creation. Affirm it, mean it, feel it. Give it all the meaning that it has for those nine sayings, for that one minute that you're holding that immaculate concept. And then knowing that you have connected, knowing that it is done, let go. Then let go and let God. All sense of separation is the domain of ego programming. The corruption of our ego, which is our character. Um, you know, ego, ego is a sense of self. It later came to be identified with conceit. And we got terms such as ego trip, etc. But up until that time, it just meant the self, our earth identity. There's nothing wrong with having an ego. It's whether your ego is corrupted, whether you have a divine cosmic. If you think that you're a cosmic being having a human experience, that's great. But if you feel that you're this human and that's the most part of you and that you somehow have to jump through hoops to find a god, that is ego programming and you are very confused. So let's do that exercise. If you are a self-actualization wannabe as we all are, pretend you are God. Take nine deep breaths and acknowledge your divine nature. And now instead of asking God for whatever, assume you are fully merged with God and say, I am as God created me. And then the attitude changes, doesn't it? It, it goes to, Jim, my love heals your fear-based thoughts around your broken foot. I affirm the perfection of your creation. Big shift in power there from a very subtle shift in perspective. As for mortal death, um, you know, darling, there comes a time when it really is time to move on. Um, 
uh, who wants to live a thousand years? You know, you don't, you don't really want that. You want another planet. You want another adventure. You want to do something other than get up, eat, drink, poop. And, you know, after a thousand years, it gets a bit old. So I fully expect us to have a lifespan of 100, 120 years easy in another 50, 60 years time from now. Um, but what is death? You die, your mortal body dies, and then you just go poof, and you're somewhere else. It's eternal. It's exciting. I will tell you, as much as I enjoy being on Eavidician, um, when my time comes to go to heaven and uh, take a look at my life review and be something else, I'll be very happy. There's nothing wrong with Arnie Abedician, but I don't think I want to be her for, for that long. <laughs> you know, when there's, a, there's a, a couple of little choice passages in Achim, if I can remember them. Um, the body exists in a world that seems to contain two voices fighting for its possession. And what that means is the corrupted ego, the programmed ego, wants us to identify with the body and only with things physical. I think this is worth stating again. The ego wants to make this world the only world, because if we investigate and accept our true nature, we will see the physical world for what it is, a playground we co-created, um, you know, in the arena of the game of life, over which we have a significant levels of control. We can think things in and out of our life experience if only we think of ourselves as gods and not as peons. Something else from the course, um, sickness is a way of demonstrating that you can be hurt. It is a witness to your frailty, your vulnerability and your extreme need to depend on external guidance. Right there is the voice saying, stop thinking of God as something outside yourself, accept Godhood for yourself and see how quickly concern for bodily issues will fall away. It also says the ego uses this as its best argument for your need to its guidance. It dictates endless prescriptions for avoiding catastrophic outcomes. The corrupted ego will keep our little brains going in circles 24 seven and all for no reason other than to keep us discovering what we truly are, unlimited, eternal, all powerful. It makes a great deal of noise, doesn't it, the false ego, for something that doesn't exist. What is real? Pure source energy. And God does not want or need to be worshipped. God is not a person with ego programming. God does not want to rule over us. What God wants, in my ever so humble opinion, is for each of us to self-realize and walk together as equals, to bring light to the dark places. And it starts with making time each and every day to explore the glory that is our true nature. That was very, very interesting, and I'm really glad that you sent me that, um, that question. Something else that comes up quite a bit is, uh, you know, fearing God, fearing God. Do we fear God? Oh, we must fear God. You know, awe and fear are two very different things. You can be in awe of something. It really means to be in wonder of it. If you fear something, 
it's a very different thing. Fear freezes you and shuts down your creativity. But the awe is you looking upon something that is greater than your current experience. And being made aware of a world that is so much bigger than you ever thought possible. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm glad people are having some very serious conversations with themselves about this sort of thing. Now, my darlings, um, I really wanted to do a section here about. Um, I wanted to do the cryptic, the cryptic mystic for you, and I really wanted to talk about the rebel virgins and the rebel mothers of early Christianity. Um, and these were Christian ladies in the fourth century at a time where women were more powerful in religious communities because the church hadn't quite formalized itself. But I don't think I'm going to have time to do that today. So I do apologize, but we will do the cryptic mystic on our next show. And I'm going to devote a goodly amount of time to it because it's really worth it. So, you know, next time we will have the rebel virgins and the rebel mothers of early Christianity. And I think that's going to be just lovely. But for now, I think given we only have a few minutes left, um, I'm going to do a couple of silly poems um, and then we'll wrap up. You know, I be I keep threatening, don't I, to, to, to publish my book of poetry and I will get to it at some point. Um, I think next week I've devoted some time to collating all of my poetry, the silly and the serious. And I'm pretty sure I can con somebody into making it into an ebook. Uh, so here, let's let's go on with a little pat of poetry because yes folks after a hard day's shamaning i like coming home putting my feet up making a nice cup of tea or occasionally a little drinky poo and writing non-peer-reviewed really bad but occasionally brilliant poetry a couple i want to share with you um that i wrote a while ago and this first one is uh is called there's a lot of stuff in Costco, um, <laughs> and indeed there is. I, I'm writing about consumerism and big lot stores, and it's it's interesting to me because now you know we're all prepping as we we always should prep. We should prep not out of fear ever, but we should prep because it's the sensible thing to do. Um, and I still believe that we are too attached to form, and we have too much happiness in things. And one day I was walking up and down. Costco. And I had this sort of, you know, how you have these existential moments and everything slows down and you go, what am I doing here? Who needs 25 pounds of beef? Well, if you have a freezer, you know, it's not a bad idea. But anyway, that's that's the backdrop. OK, I wrote this poem as soon as I came back from from Costco. Here we go. There's a lot of stuff in Costco piled high up to the ceiling. Do we really need so much toilet paper or a 10 pound jar of Darjeeling? I know it's cheaper to buy in bulk and being prepared for emergencies is appealing. But have we been trained to hoard, consume and repeat? Is there a gender that someone's concealing? There's a lot of stuff in Costco and there's hot dogs for $1.50. But 
that's not really a food group, though it's cheap, and kudos to you for being thrifty. As I stand in the aisle with my cart, which is almost as big as my car, I feel I should review if I want to take part in this theatre of consumption bizarre. And just because they are trying to bring back mask mandates and all that BS, which, you know, it's not going to work this time around. Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me thrice, you pay the price. I'm digging up a poem that I wrote at the very beginning of all this COVID stuff when I wasn't as calm and mature as I am now. <laughs> I was pretty pissed off and angry. Um, but, you know, we all work through our issues. So... This is, uh, right, just go back to the very beginnings of COVID. And I've written, the day is done, and I'm sipping a nice cold martini, wishing I had a big plate of linguine, but they say if we eat inside, the virus can thrive and probably kill us. But apparently, it's safe to eat curbside, say 10 feet away, where the virus can't thrive? I think it's past time for logic to red pill us. They openly mock us, taunt us, and shock us. We are mice in a maze. They toy and they haze until our brains burn and our eyes glaze, until we acquiesce to whatever humiliation they think suits us best. Wear the mask to the table, then you can remove it. Are your brains all disabled? Why do you put up with this shit? Stand six feet apart, wear your dirty face diaper. Humans, you're not very smart. Can you not see the piper? You are jumping through hoops just to get your daily bread. They are breaking up groups so that they can control what's in your heads. I despair because it is all so very overt and perceptible. I despair because I find your lack of logic and spine unacceptable. Well, I wrote that at the very beginning of all this COVID stuff where, oh my golly, did we have some arguments with people because my partner and I uh, do not wear a mask and we will never become, we will never get vaccinated, um, especially this last thing that isn't a vaccine. And we were accosted uh, so many times and uh, we become the queen, the queens of comebacks, I think, of one line comebacks. We should become folk musicians in small clubs. Uh, people throw remarks at us. We can we can answer them back now after three and a half, four years of this cult Covidian rubbish. All right. A reminder, my darlings to visit my website once in a while on to see what services I offer. And if you are a spirit-centered patriot who wants to restore the Republic and you want to make some new friends, why not join my Telegram group, Arnie Mad Shaman Avidician Chat, Arnie Mad Shaman Avidician Chat. The chat is open 24-7 and we have a voice chat meeting every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Now, this is a social support group, um, which means that you're just as likely to get recipes and health tips, <laughs> as well as politics, right? Um, and of course, metaphysical and spiritual things there. But it's also a public group. Anyone can join. But be aware, martini heads, martini heads 
we tend to have a libertarian ideology with a nod to what you would call conservatism, although those words have lost their meaning now because we see that the deep state controls all the parties. You know, our goal with this group is to have an American assembly, no left, no right, just people with a moral compass serving their country with honor and integrity. So my group is not for the woke, it is for the awake. If you want to take part in the Tuesday chats, you cannot have a hidden identity. And we will ask you to put your video on so we can see your pretty little faces. Also check out my Cosmic Conversations, a great way to have a little fun while learning something new. And those are on the last Saturdays of each month. Uh, this month it's Armenian history, which includes stories of my growing up in the UK when your parents are Armenian. There's some colorful stories there. In October, we're doing past lives. November, we're doing eugenics. December is our annual cool Yule party and a whole new bunch of subjects. Go to the website, it's all there. Well, my darlings, have I finished my drink? I have not, so let me do that. Mm. Mm. My gosh, that turned out so much better than I thought. I don't mean the podcast, I mean the drink. And I have finished my drink now. And that always means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I always have a blast. Joining you, martini heads, you like-minded people, um, I love you all. And this would be a very good time to thank Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, for kindly sponsoring the intergalactic distribution of this show, mysticalwares.com. One-stop shopping for metaphysics boffins, mysticalwares.com online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. Today's Real Life Cocktail was originally named a Poop Deck Cocktail, but I'm in a sassy mood and I have renamed it Punch Biden in the Cocktail Cocktail. And this is from the Trader Vic's Vintage Bar Bartender's Guide. You get one ounce of blackberry brandy. I'm just using Hiram Brothers. Half an ounce of port wine. I'm using Graham's um, Six Grapes because I had it open, and half an ounce of, uh, of brandy. I'm just using the Corbell 12-year-old Californian. Take these liquids, pour them over cracked ice, and then don't shake, but stir it quite vigorously. Strain it into your favorite chilled cocktail glass and enjoy. It's quite delicious. Now remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I am Ani, mad as the day is long abadician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, don't fall for the globalist narrative. Accept that not everyone will ascend. Resist immediately and passionately all attempts to discredit the American Constitution, and life would be so much easier if we all just allowed the spirit to inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Abdesian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you.